Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, day 68 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here, joined by our military reporter, Emmanuel Fabian, and filmmaker of our Times of War video series, Eli Katzav. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Israel awoke to the news of 10 fallen soldiers in Gaza. Mandy will tell us what he can about this tragedy, as well as findings that about 20 of Israel's 115 who have fallen in Gaza are accidental deaths. We will hear about the mandate to retrieve bodies and its cost and where things stand in Gaza now. Ellie will introduce us to the Times of War video series, which to date has nine insightful short documentary films. All this and more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Manny, we're hearing that many of the troops killed in Gaza that were announced this morning died in a series of blasts while searching buildings in a Gaza City suburb. What can you tell us about this? Uh, Nine of the 10 deaths that were announced this morning uh, were in this very heavy uh, battle in Gaza City's uh, Shajaya neighborhood. Uh, It is known, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, that is um, quite a, a hard nut to crack. It is Hamas's um, fortified stronghold of Gaza City. Uh, it is the area where in 2014 we saw very heavy battles between Golani soldiers and Hamas. Uh, and again, the army has um, completed most of its operations in northern Gaza and now is focusing on sort of this last area, Shajaya. Um, yesterday afternoon, toward the evening hours, um, the Golani uh, Brigade began this operation in Shajaya. They began to search a number of buildings uh, which were believed to have been empty. Um, as they were searching them, um, uh, several blasts um, detonated near them. An explosive device, um, Hamas gunmen began to open fire at them. Um, and uh, at this stage, uh, they even lost contact with some of the soldiers amid fears that they may have been um, uh, kidnapped by Hamas. Uh, and then at that point, several senior Golani officers um, uh, led uh, an assault uh, against the Hamas operatives in the area to try and rescue the, the forces. Um, some of the officers uh, began to flank the um, the Hamas operatives um, from different sides. Uh, and a res- rescue operation was was made to try and um, get these soldiers out of the, the area that was under fire. Um, 
Uh, but by the end of the fighting, we're, we're seeing nine soldiers killed, including several senior officers. Uh, that includes uh, also uh, Colonel uh, Itzhak Ben Basat. Uh, he's the head of the uh, Golani Brigade's commander's team. Uh, he initially was uh, being, uh, re- he was retiring from the army, but returned for the war um, uh, to fight. So he was, uh, he just joined the Golani Brigade's commander's team. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Tomer Greenberg, he's the commander of the Golani Brigade's 13th Battalion um, uh, as well. So his his uh, forces were the ones um, who were the who were carrying out one of the flanks against Hamas uh, in the area. Uh, and several more uh, soldiers and um, company commanders and platoon commanders um, were killed in this fighting. And then additionally... Um, one soldier of the combat engineering corps uh, was killed in a separate incident uh, in northern Gaza yesterday, bringing the toll to uh, 10 soldiers killed. At the same time, we are hearing reports that several of the goals of the IDF were achieved yesterday, including uh, capturing more documentation, more intelligence. Is that correct? The army's operations are uh, successful um, to an extent. They're still working it's slow but thorough they're capturing areas destroying Hamas infrastructure finding intelligence uh, like you mentioned they found uh, plenty of documents yesterday they even found uh, memory cards containing um, documentation footage of the October 7th attacks um, which uh, which were then brought back to Israel um, things are progressing in Gaza the the operations are are going along the the army is slowly but surely defeating Hamas in the area but uh, there obviously is a very high cost to these uh, to these battles um, yesterday being one of the most serious and most difficult days for the army um, with with 10 at uh, 10 soldiers killed this next item is even perhaps more terrible to report. As I've said before on the podcast, Israel is still a small enough country that for every fallen soldier, you either know that person or know somebody who knows that person. So when we report that of the 115 Israeli soldiers killed to date in the Gaza Strip during the ground offensive, 20 were killed in so-called friendly fire or other accidents, it just tears you up. So what is the army saying about this? The army is really trying to avoid these these accidents and incidents of friendly fire, but they do occur. Um, they explain it in a way that there is a, there's a lot of forces in Gaza, there's thousands uh, of soldiers operating in Gaza on the ground. Uh, there are sometimes communications issues between the forces, especially if we're talking about um, between ground forces and air force or from by tanks and infantry. Sometimes there are communication errors uh, and things are not understood correctly. And there's also the issue of soldiers being tired, not paying close enough attention to regulations um, and and being killed in those cases. Uh, of the 20, um, 13 were killed in uh, friendly fire, uh, meaning they were misidentified or mistakenly identified as a, as a threat. Uh, and they were not only killed in by, by gunfire by troops on the ground, but also in airstrikes and tank shelling. Um, we've seen cases where troops have called in an airstrike on um, on a, on an enemy site, but uh, instead the um, the air force strikes the building where the Israeli forces are at. Um, there has been at least one incident like that that has led to the deaths of soldiers. Um, 
so these so these are the sort of communication issues and uh, that that we're seeing. Uh, there was also um, a case of a soldier who was hit by gunfire that was unintended to hit him, so he wasn't identified as a threat, uh, but was still hit by gunfire. And then there were two cases of uh, accidental misfires where soldiers accidentally fired their weapon, um, killing two soldiers. Um, there are some other accidents as well, including some involving armored vehicles uh, running over troops and uh, explosives being set off by Israeli soldiers intentionally, but shrapnel from those explosives also hitting uh, Israeli soldiers. So uh, 13 uh, due to misidentifications and seven in other accidents. In terms of statistics, it seems incredibly high to me. This percentage seems very high, but am I mistaken? So I have been trying to look into that. I don't have a clear answer yet uh, on whether or not this is, um, so to speak, normal or not. But we know that in the past, especially when in Israeli wars, when operating in urban environments, uh, these sort of things uh, do occur. Uh, I don't know if 20 is considered high. I don't have a very good comparison um, really to compare this to. And this is something that maybe some uh, researchers can look into a bit further. But we know that this is a um, an issue that the army has dealt with for years. It's not something new. Uh, it was We were ex- expected to see this sort of thing. I remember in uh, around November, we reported on the site that several deaths in Gaza were as a result of friendly fire. But the army is doing a lot to to contain this and, and uh, prevent these sort of cases from happening further. Yesterday, we heard that the IDF announced that it recovered the bodies of a civilian, Aidan Zaharia, and an IDF warrant officer, Ziv Dado, who were taken hostage by Hamas on October 7th. And at the same time, this operation as well came at a terrible cost. What can you tell us about this mandate to retrieve bodies and the cost that comes with it? This operation was quite uh, a difficult one as well. Uh, these, the bodies of these two um, two uh, hostages, uh, Eden Zaharia and, and Ziv Dado, they were abducted by Hamas uh, on October 7th. Uh, Dado was believed to have been killed um, on October 7th and his body was taken um, but uh, Zaharia we know she was wounded um, she was at the uh, rave near Reim uh, we know she was wounded there um, but we don't know if she was uh, killed then or maybe she was treated in Gaza and then later killed um, but either way she was also uh, taken hostage on the day um, the the bodies um, were actually found inside a tunnel uh, in Gaza, in the Jabalia area, uh, near the the home of a senior Hamas commander who had been killed by Israel previously. Um, and this is deep in the Gaza Strip. This is not a, a very simple place to get to uh, for the army. Um, obviously, this operation, they didn't plan to have to battle Hamas to get these bodies out. Um, but during the operation, two soldiers, uh, we're talking about Gal Eisenkot, the son of Gadi Eisenkot, the former chief of staff and current war cabinet minister, uh, and another soldier, uh, Eyal Meir Berkovich. Um, both of them were killed. Uh, several other soldiers were also wounded. Um, they weren't the ones, um, if I can describe this correctly, they weren't the ones retrieving the bodies directly, but they were involved in the operation. There's a lot more that goes into it than just taking the bodies out of uh, where they were, uh, but there's a whole perimeter they need to secure, and there's an area they need to capture and make sure that Hamas aren't going to interfere with the operation. So they were killed 
uh, sort of during the operation itself um, uh, by an explosive device that detonated in the area. Um, and there, there will be a cost to these operations. We know that there have been several uh, attempts to rescue um, hostages from Gaza. This is now the third one that's being published uh, after the successful rescue of um, uh, Ori Megidish, the soldier last month, um, and an attempt to rescue other hostages uh, last week, which was unsuccessful. And in this case, where they're rescuing now bodies. What is the mandate, however, of the soldiers? What kind of danger can they put themselves into in order to rescue bodies? That's a good question. Uh, we know that the army will do, it says it will do anything to, to rescue the hostages. Those that are alive, at least, Israel will, uh, I believe, will definitely carry out further operations like this to recover them. I think with bodies, Israel may not carry out as risky as of operations uh compared to those who are, they know who are alive and they can rescue. But Israel will still work to recover all the bodies as well. They're not saying they won't recover the bodies, but uh, when it comes to um, risk assessment, if they're going to try and recover a body, but they know it's going to be a very risky operation, uh, they may not initially carry it out. They might wait uh, because obviously when we're talking about a body, um, there is less of a rush to uh, retrieve them. Many a very dark episode with you today that matches their stormy weather. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Amanda. We'll go to a short break. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Ellie, thank you so much for your patience. We are here to talk about our new video series, Times of War. And so to date, we have nine videos, which are mostly basically little mini documentaries. So why don't you tell us, first of all, about your impetus for creating these? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think that in its in its basic form, I, I'm a storyteller. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a documentarian. Um, I've been doing documentary work for many years, and that's kind of how I see the world. I see it through a lens. So when, especially after the events of October 7th occurred, I found that there was, not to be crass, but there was sort of an opportunity to tell really unique stories that were just starting to really come to surface around the Israel region. So I jumped in and I, and I started documenting these stories. And very quickly we found that what we were making was something between news and film. As in we were telling live news stories that were going on on the ground, but we weren't scripting them in the way that you would script a film or even a classic documentary. We're really kind of to weave a very careful thread between those two worlds, between the world of news and between the world of documentary slash uh, scripted narrative filmmaking. 
And for me, it's such a great opportunity for us to tell the story in a different medium and to give it the emotional level that our news reporting can't do. And this is a conversation that you and I have often, how much emotion versus right. how much factual telling of the story. And it's a fine balance to to hold. And in many ways, we're, we're very... Um, careful about the minutiae, including the music and what kind of sounds are being uh, played at the same time as the story. Tell us a little bit more about this thinking. Oh my gosh, I could go on for hours about this. This is the, the in some ways, the hardest and most unique aspect of what I think we're doing right now, which is that we really do have to, to really thread that fine needle. Because, you know, I'll give you an example. I, you know, filmmaking in its core is very manipulative. I mean, it's a manipulative art of storytelling where, you know, when you think of uh, fictional filmmaking or even most classic documentaries, it's about first and foremost, we need to entertain the audience and, you know, inform to some degree. And news, on the other hand, is that it's first and foremost to inform and later to in some way, you know, maybe entertain a little or in some way give commentary. So how do you do that when you've got you know, what we have here going on, we're trying to make these very, to be blunt, high-end docu-style films, short films, but still docu-style, and at the same time, informative and newsworthy. It becomes this extremely careful balance of where do you, I mean, one example, right, music we picked, right, as a good example. Take a situation like Niroz, right, this horrible, horrible massacre, and we have to get there and document this and, and make something that is engaging to an audience and also informative. What kind of music do you put in? Do you put in music at all? I mean, these are the, and, and, and that becomes a major question that we spend hours and hours. I don't think people realize always these videos can take, you know, two, four, six days to edit. It's not, and, and to pare down, you know, the amount of footage that we have to capture to make these edits, to make a story that does, does to some degree entertain or at least engage you and pull you in, but at its core must also inform and not be manipulative in the way that classic films might be. So it's this, um, and that goes from everything to the shots that we choose, to the edits we make, to the pacing of the editing. I mean, many people assume that filmmaking is, oh, you just take a bunch of shots, put them together, and there's your video. And I guess if you're on, you know, classic, I don't know, TikTok, maybe that's fine. But what we're making is a whole different version of that. We're using the real art of filmmaking to tell a story and to inform an audience. So every single shot that we choose is carefully selected. Every edit that we make, the pacing of them, how fast do you edit or how slow? And I can give you two examples of that. For example, and, and I think this is sort of the approach we tend to take when we look at any given story is, what is the story and then what is its sort of theme and feel? How do we capture that theme and feel to give an honest view of that story? Because there's a saying in filmmaking, the moment you stick a camera somewhere, you no longer are objectively capturing it. You now have a subjective piece of equipment that is actually capturing a specific angle. For example, if I put a camera as a wide shot, it's going to give an audience a very different feel than if I get a close-up on someone's face in a crowd. That's going to be a completely different feeling and a different story I'm going to tell. So... You know, as an example, though, of editing and how editing style and pace will completely change a story. Um, when we went into, uh, there was a um, civil crisis center, essentially, in Jerusalem that was going on. And we went to go film this and we wanted to, we realized very quickly, this is the, the best analogy we could come up with was almost an army of volunteers 
you know, running all over this office building, up and downstairs in 20 different offices, all doing different aspects of civil society. It was incredible. But how do you capture that? Well, you know, we could have just walked around with a camera and just filmed things, but we realized that in the editing is where we can make this feel like a fast-paced, action-packed zone by just editing quickly. So every single cut is just a second long, maybe two seconds. We're doing jump cutting all over the place. And that was to give a feeling and pace that would be fast moving and high energy and add a little bit of a music track that's not too distracting and not too, quote, manipulative, but rather just enough to pull you in to give you that overall feeling of some action. And then on the flip side, take an example of something like Near Oz, where the editing, because this is such a heavy topic, the editing had to go slower quieter. That meant longer takes, longer shots. And even the shots that we were filming, instead of a lot of movement, we were doing shots that were slow and quiet. Still, we were locking the camera down, as it were, just to get, you know, uh, focuses that would kind of give a feeling we call bokeh. And it was all types of, essentially, we were taking real film technique and applying it to news stories to give that emotional element to a factual-based story. And we continue to do that every day. And you and me are constantly speaking about that and where that fine line is. We might disagree at times or agree. And the reality is we're always focused on what is best for the piece. And I think that's, an, to me, it, it's an amazing approach to filmmaking that, that I love. and makes me very excited about this project. I couldn't agree more. And I love having you as a collaborator with all the skills. And I can just say very in shorthand, why don't you do X? And you say, yes or no, but but I love that you've joined our team and I, I so appreciate that. Listeners, please check out this series. If I can just mention one film in particular that I really think is worth watching in full, it's our longest film. It's called First Responders Together in Hell, a very powerful subject, and it just shows you what they went through on that day and what they're still going through since October 7th. Please check out that movie in particular, but also the entire series is just a human portrait of what is going on on the ground here today. Ellie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any comments or questions about this or other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom.